Awesome. All right. Welcome, everyone. Uh, John Laster here with uh, the Manual Save podcast, joined by Justin Connors, creative director of 8 Prime Esports, as well as David Andrade of uh, Theory um, Studios. Hey, hey. Glad to be here. Hello. Now, glad to have you here as well. Um, Super excited to kind of talk about your your background because you have a really unique one, having worked in a lot of uh, professional TV shows and movies and commercials, and then kind of pivoting into games uh, this past year during the pandemic, correct? Oh, for sure. Uh, it's funny. This is uh, year eight that I dove into this as my own business, but if you count all the way from when I was doing it professionally in college, gosh, we're we're at just under 20 years, 19 years. So oh, wow. kind of crazy. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do with Theory Studios? Yeah, sure. We're a multidisciplinary uh, company, media company. Um, Our biggest focus right now is animation for theme parks and video games, really particularly virtual reality stuff. Um, But in a whole, we work on a lot of crazy projects. Um, In our past, we've had the pleasure of working on Man in the High Castle, which is a big time Amazon show, one of the first to start getting Emmy nominations right when Prime was debuting uh, to more recently working with Sesame Street on animated shows for them. And one thing I'm very proud of uh, right as the pandemic was actually was about to hit a new ride premiered at Universal Studios Orlando, the Born Stunt-tacular. And we helped do some of the animation for the intro while you're waiting and getting ready to sit down and everything. So really excited to have such a wide gamut of stuff. And, and you're right. Somewhere in there, we just decided to make a VR game amongst all of that. No, that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, so how did you get started doing all of that? Like, wh- how did you get started in that industry? That's a good question. Uh, I made mods. So that was kind of my beginning. Uh, I was kind of in that early Quake generation uh, where, where people were modding it and doing fun stuff with it. So uh, one day, uh, actually, if you want the longer story, uh, it was Hurricane Andrew, I believe, had hit and closed schools everywhere in Florida. Uh, and I had an acquired version of 3D Studio and Photoshop, uh, and I was home for like three weeks. And at the end of those three weeks, I knew how to use 3D Studio and Photoshop. Mind you, is I don't think it was 3D Studio Max. I don't think Max is a thing yet. I, I'm a little jealous because, like, when I was growing up, we got hit by four hurricanes. I think my sophomore year of high school. Yeah, we just lost power for three weeks. So I sat and read books. Oh, by candlelight. <laughs> <laughs> I literally Damn. read books by candlelight because there was not much else to do. Oh. Ironically enough, I'm pretty sure it was the Born Identity. Uh, like series in a sense, you know, so it's kind of funny that you mentioned working on the, the ride there. Little full circle there. Right. Oh yeah. Yes. You taught yourself Photoshop. I actually, it's a little different now, but back in the day, I used to say, if you could teach yourself Photoshop, you could probably teach yourself almost any program. You just got to (laughs) start with that one. And then, you know, from that, everything's like driving. Yeah, exactly. Or riding a bike, even, you know, once, once you can ride a bike or whatever, my, my parents used to say, if you can drive in New York, you can drive anywhere in the world. And it's been a very <laughs> accurate statement. Um, so yeah, it dovetailed from that. Uh, I learned it and, and there was a very, very young, but excited mod community. And then it was Half-Life and their mod tools that really opened and paved the way. And now we're in high school making mods and, there's the uh, Make Something Unreal contest that was really quite popular in the early 2000s. And I, I just entered all of those and fast forward, gosh, I don't know how many years has it been? 21 now? <laughs> 22, however many years has been since Hurricane Andrew. I've just been living in 3D since <laughs> and, uh, and uh, loved it. You know, loved everything about it. Um, a little bit more formal background. I went to University of Tampa, so neat little school. Uh, learned about economics and art history, nothing to do with 3D, but it was still fun. And then uh, I took Animation Mentor. Um, that was, a, I think it was 2006 is uh, when they debuted it, and I was really lucky to get on the ground floor with that class, um, be the, the first class to graduate. So that was really quite exciting. Uh, that 
back when working remotely was a weird thing in 2006. They had a whole system set up for this is pre Dropbox and Zoom, by the way. This whole system set up to like learn and animate and get feedback and everything uh, all remotely uh, working on animation. So that was awesome. That was really credit that to opening up a lot of doors. Um, and it was the inspiration to wrap up the story. It was the inspiration of working remotely, learning remotely, rather, learning remotely through Animation Mentor that led years later when I wanted to start a business is I wanted to do it remotely. I had so many of my friends uh, who I met there and still three, two of them rather are my co-founders uh, and many others are my employees. Uh, we just really love the remote lifestyle back in 2007. And so when we started this <laughs> business in 2013, it was it was really important to us to because we were all so scattered because the world of animation scatters mm -hmm. you around the world. Um, it was really important to us to keep it remote and been like that since. You know, now well, the whole world is remote. That that Jake. makes a ton of sense for me too, just from my perspective. That I I always get told um, art is something that games scale up on really really heavily mm -hmm. toward the end mm -hmm. of the cycle. But then they immediately downsize, you oh, know, yeah, for sure. So the ability to have remote work just really helps with that transition between projects without having to completely uproot yourself and move to a new location. You know, one would hope that it sticks around uh, having done both TV theme park. I'm uh, not both. Actually, there's many here. TV theme park movies uh, and now games, both. When I, I worked at High Moon Studios for a year or so, year or two, and and then a bunch of other places in the movie and TV world, but having done all of those like major media entertainment enterprises, it's really the games industry that is remote and has been like they they've for the most part. You know, I, I know AAA studios are a little harder, but even then they outsource quite a bit. And they've always mm -hmm. kind of outsourced, and you write about the art because it's so expensive to keep such a crew, and you only need it for a short amount of time relative game production something we experienced ourselves who, who would have thought um <laughs> but uh you you kind of want to solve all of your art at the end but that's also when you need to get it done so you need a lot of artists all of a sudden so i i get it but yeah no other industry tv film uh theme parks like they didn't really grasp the whole remote works work life thing they, it's just not it's actually quite the reverse it's crunch, crunch, crunch all the time, at least in the movie world, especially. Uh, and it, it, you know, the pandemic certainly changed a lot of that, hopefully for better. But if anyone's really curious, I did a talk with a uh, animation director in 2011 or 12 at SIGGRAPH, big graphics conference in LA. We did a talk where we hypothesized what the world of the future would look like when animation was ma being made remotely and, and the structure and the pipeline and everything. It was like an hour long talk. It was very well attended and the YouTube was, you know, it's okay. It's got had like a thousand views years ago. Um, and obviously that exploded last year and we, we've gotten a horde of email of how to do it. Now everybody knows how to do it. So now it's easy, but it's just interesting. Like when, when you finally had to do it, and it's funny considering like working on Marvel movies, you're not even allowed to have your own phone or USB devices. Like computer cannot have a USB device, a plug-in. Uh, it's all got to be sectioned off the internet. So much control to work on a Marvel movie. And yet, you know, now you render in the cloud, you animate in the cloud. So it's, it's a funny, <laughs> interesting switch that we've gone through. I can totally see that. And I mean, like, I know even from my experience with games, there always was a lot of panic of like, well, can we let people take this home? Will people find out about it? You know, is it going to make it more or less secure, you know, obviously. And yeah. I mean, with games in particular, one of the, the struggles I've always been told is the uploads. You know, when you're trying to upload and download new bills constantly, the problem is a yeah. lot of us just don't have the internet infrastructure yet, um, which yeah. kind of ties into a question I'd really love to hear from you mm -hmm. is so since you guys were already remote back in 2013, um, what kind of struggles were you dealing with there where the rest of the world just hadn't caught up? You know, that's a, that's a good one because you're right that that, that happens. Um, and we came up with a concept and 
fun just kind of stumbled upon it and now it's it's quite popular where you just sectioned off things where you only downloaded what you needed to download and animator would only get what they needed uh, we were very quick to move stuff to amazon we used to host host it and then we just put it on aws and i did talks with aws about how they saved us during a hurricane once <laughs> hurricanes are really important part of our, the story uh it seems so it was hurricane michael I think it was Michael, Matthew, it's one of the M's. And power went down, everything went down, but we had a major shot to deliver for Man in the High Castle. Um, giant, important shot that would go on to get nominated for a VES award. Well, we didn't know that at the time. We just had to get it done. And we're just the 3D artist. So um, thankfully, we had switched everything to AWS. And it rendered and delivered, and it was all painless even though not a single one of my artists, including myself, had power <laughs> because, you know, Florida had no power when a giant hurricane rips right through it. And it's just really awesome to, to do that. So moving to AWS is a, a big thing. And now, now we play between Google Cloud and AWS. You know, sometimes one's cheaper for one thing or the other. Um, so that, that was really helpful. That sectioning off what people can use. Uh, we did ride the tide up, though, because so many people have had internet upgrades, especially in the last year, um, that the infrastructure has gotten better. Uh, so that's that's helped out quite a bit. But unfortunately, sometimes you just got to suffer. You know, we uh, we work with a few artists that are in South America, and the internet's a lot better. But one of them's like deep in deep in the city that's in like surrounded by the Amazon rainforest in Brazil. And he, I mean, it's a city nonetheless, but it's it's like the middle of nowhere for us, right? But it's surrounded by forest everywhere. So, and yet, you know, somehow if okay internet, he's still able to make it by and it's just being smart and clever about what people can download and just, you just suffer you overnight stuff. You know, that often is the biggest thing. Um, also FedEx, we've had it deliver sometimes a hundred terabytes of data to a client and yeah. uh, it's actually faster to mail that overnight. <laughs> I, I found that absolutely fascinating when I was doing yeah. that about three or four years ago, I was having someone video edit for me and I was having an easier time buying a hard drive and mailing it than trying to upload it. Because again, oh, like where I was at, I could only do 10, 12 upload, you know? Huh. So for me to give him the size files I was giving him, cause I was just giving him a massive dump of my gameplay and being like go find the good stuff you yeah. know and it was just like it was way easier to just pay to ship it you know pay to buy a new hard drive you know have him send yeah. it back when he's done you know and just cycle through a few that way and it was just absolutely crazy to me rather than yeah rather deal. than actually use the internet you know it's like it, it there's something just funky to me about the idea that the post office is the fastest thing we actually have yeah you know, latency is really latency is really crappy but you know the, the throughput can be great <laughs> so mm -hmm. no i i get it so you know that that's kind of what we've done we've risen the tide thankfully with infrastructure improving uh i don't know if it's still up there but my face used to be on the zoom website um we did a little talk <laughs> about how awesome zoom is i I got to meet Eric Yoon way before he became a bazillionaire and famous. And we were like early beta testers. And his story is really cool. I, I don't know if it's public. He's the founder and CEO of Zoom. Mm -hmm. um, he wanted a better way to uh, talk to his girlfriend. And you know, he, <laughs> while he did work for a big company that made video software, some of us may not remember how awful video conferencing was pre-pandemic. And it was like, can you hear me? Oh, this is working. Uh, oh, you got to plug in this thing. Got to do. But some of us just may not remember how terrible I, it was. I just remember then. old school Skype calls. I was where say, like, Skype was oh, the thing. Yeah. Literally, it was like, okay, I'm going to call you by Skype. And then the immediate reaction was, can we use anything else? Yeah. And the problem was, for a while, that was the platform. You know, yeah. I remember Discord kind of took over for me on most of my stuff, but that's more recent. Yeah. You know, and then even back in the day, like Google video is like leaps and bounds better now than it was, you know, five Gosh. years ago, you know? Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Discord and uh, that's that's an awesome piece of software, you know, and but yeah, you're right. We were all in the era of Skype. I don't know about you guys, but I don't even run Skype anymore. Kind of weirdly, uh, I, I, I haven't run Skype. Run What's that? 
No, say I don't remember the last time I used Skype. I it's been. Does it even exist? Ago. I thought yeah. it got yeah, like, it moved does. into Teams. Like I thought it was like one of those things that kind of got sunset and just moved the the product. The last message it. sent on Skype was October twenty first, twenty twenty. Uh, but before then was February thirteenth, twenty twenty. So oh, wow, Skype did not survive the pandemic. I don't think. Um, <laughs> oh man. So it is what it is, but yeah. So Zoom, Zoom, Zoom's a, been a big help. Slack has been a giant help. Uh, you know, I, I really, really enjoy Slack too. Um, Discord's great. No, no problems with Discord. I think Slack offers a few more like enterprisey, businessy mm-hmm. tools, and the integrations are just really nice. Um, so they're and plus, I think just psychologically, you just feel like you're in an office, and then Discord's you're hanging out with your friends. So there's a nice, nice difference there. Um, that's how we do it, at least. Uh, That's how a lot of the companies I work with do it. They have a private company-wide Slack and then a more public kind of community-facing yeah. Discord. And one of the benefits there is it also keeps you from accidentally typing in the wrong chat room. You know, yeah. Especially if you're like me and you leave Slack, Slack on like light mode and Discord's on dark mode. So it's like, oh, you ain't going to mix them up. <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah. it's really hard. <laughs> man, man, oh, that's smart. Yeah, I uh, we have like a lot of alumni that have come through the studio over the years. And so Discord serves as like a way to hang out and, mm-hmm. and do stuff on there. So that's been kind of nice. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I, I hope this sticks. You know, I was reading that there's a lot of people who want people back in the office and there's, mm-hmm. there's benefits. Obviously there's giant benefits for, for that. And I, I do miss the creative collaboration that you can get hanging out and turn next to somebody and say something that's tough to get in a isolated remote kind of that's workspace. Literally but. what I was going to ask you next be is because like when I talk to people, they always highlight the spontaneous creative nature yeah. of a lot of jobs is why they want people back in offices. One hundred percent. You work one hundred percent, more or yeah. less, remote since two thousand thirteen in a very creative field. So you know, how do you guys kind of balance that, and how do you still find the the ability to kind of have those creative brainstorming sessions? You force them in a way. <laughs> you know, you you have like literal meetings dedicated to just accomplishing no goal. You just hang out and work together. Um, so we we have an always on Zoom you know, thing that we all pop into um, and work. But, you know, what's funny is that, like, it it comes in spurts. So we have set, set like, hangout times every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that way, some, some people can come in maybe just to chat for a little bit. Some people will come in to ask questions to show what they're doing. Then we have, like, our more formal ones, like Mondays and Fridays, where we all present what we're doing and how this, how the sprint went and everything. Um, but yeah, like this morning, for example, me and one of the other developers, we just hung out for like almost three hours and working through stuff. And it's, you know, you hear somebody on the side and it's kind of like someone's there and it can be kind of spontaneous. Um, we used to do a lot of gaming too, where a handful of us would all just get on and game together and hang out. That was really quite fun that I think since this last six months, we've been so focused on on making said game that we haven't actually had time to do anything else. And when I get away from a computer, it's kind of interesting. We've been really encouraging people to get away, which leads me to my last point Um, pre pandemic. And actually just recently we, we try to get people together. We try to do get togethers Mm -hmm. Um, and that while it's not as great as always being able to get together um, at least half a year, sometimes every quarter recently, a handful of artists are, doing a get together and they're hiking the grand canyon uh so we just wrapped a big theme park project and they all went out to go to the grand canyon and uh you know we'll cover the dinner and stuff and and let them have fun and it's a way to like cool off and recharge and enjoy um but yeah that's that's kind of what we did the movie that we worked on there's a local florida movie called because of charlie uh a bunch of us went to the premiere and that was really quite fun you know that was the first get together post pandemic right before the pandemic um, we went to one of the uh, rehearsals for Because of Charlie over here in Orlando and we had like 10 or 12 people fly in and got a hotels and everything and like three days of just joy. We went to the parks, we ate, hung out and did that for a few days and it was really recharging. 
and in in that space where your goal is to accomplish nothing you do so much and it's mm-hmm. it's really great um so it's been a little bummer bummer with the pandemic we we haven't been able to physically get together as much but it's slowly starting um but yeah that's that's really the biggest way to do it you know um that's that's how we've been able to do so it. Yeah. Are, are you guys mostly regionally based around both uh, Orlando and I believe it's uh, a city in Canada? You know, it used to be. It's it's kind of it's kind of sprawled. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of them moved to Tampa, so two of them live in a house in Tampa. It's kind of cool. Uh, then we've got folks in uh, Alberta, Canada is the region. Uh, the city city is um, oh Christ, Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot it for a second. So Calgary is couple there uh south america one in brazil one in argentina and then texas there's a handful throughout texas and kind of like that western kind of belt texas california arizona just scattered throughout there um one in japan which is really quite cool uh but i think my favorite is the guy from um uh the our sound and musician caleb super talented guy uh he lives in like the middle of the woods somewhere in Canada. I have no idea where in like those shipping containers that you can turn into homes. I, I don't think you're allowed to know where <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he gets like internet from like some tower that he has to aim his thing to. It's like line of sight internet. Yeah. <laughs> Moose antlers. They carry it. It's, it's so weird that are like that. <laughs> yeah. no, that's, that's, that's beyond awesome. To me. Yeah. You know, in a like... shipping container, but he's like, I have everything I need. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, wow. Well, that's the cool thing about the remote like lifestyle is you no longer have to live in a cluster in San Francisco. You know, if you Lord, yeah, you can live in the middle of nowhere, you know, in the wilderness, just enjoy kind of a beautiful area, you know, and you don't have to stress about the fact that you would have a four hour commute doing that, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I, as I kind of like look back on a lot of this stuff, I, I think to myself, you know, I'm so I work a ton, right? So mm-hmm. I, I hang out with my with Sarah and my almost two year old, one more month and um, two months, sorry. So hang out with her uh, up until like nine thirty, drop her off at her grandma's, my in laws, work till like six, pick her up, and then uh, I go back to work at like nine ish till about midnight. And so I, I do work at night. I do work during the day. But and it is a lot of work, admittedly. But then I think back to like, you know, the thank God I had a short commute living in L.A. I, I it almost worked at every time that my contract was up. Is it a year? So my lease was up or my rental <laughs> release or whatever. So I would just I don't care. I'd pay more to live closer to the studio so I wouldn't have to. So I never had a big commute, like five, 10 minutes, not like the hours commute that people have in LA. Yeah, I have God, a 50 no. minute commute No, because I live on the beach and then I drive to Orlando. Okay. That's fair. That's worth it. You know, that's, 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 that's good. But you know, you, anyways, my point was, is you're working on a movie or a TV show or a game. You're, you're doing 12 plus hours and mm-hmm. then you get home and oh, I got a shower. And I, I mean, at the time I was single, so I didn't have family kid or anything i think to to it now i do work about 12 hours a day too right now but i i can take a whole morning off and i can take the whole you know time off of kid and dinner and and my wife and enjoy it um and the remote lifestyle allows you to do that you know to like just take whole sections off or you know in our case a lot of people will say i'm taking friday off i just need a day to recharge well you know also you see that they've done like 40 hours in four days so yeah, take for take Friday off. Why not? You know, and I, I we don't micromanage people like that. We just mm-hmm. request that you let us know a little bit ahead of time. You just don't disappear. And honestly, everyone's really good about it. Um, and allowing people to have that time to just take it off and enjoy. Like I, yeah, work life balance. Some people get it wrong, but you you just find yourself overworking too much. You know. So I'm I'm trying to encourage the opposite. I think you should live. I'm sorry work to live not live to work so i i think working remotely gets you closer to that where you can work to live um but that's my hope at least yeah i personally love the idea of just like being able to pick your own hours as long as you get your stuff done you know what i mean mm-hmm. like as long as you meet all your deadlines you know 
that gives you that flexibility to be like, okay, I'm not a morning person, but I do <laughs> all my best creative thinking at like two in the morning, you know? And it's like, okay, you can do that. You know, as long as your stuff gets done, no one's going to complain. Obviously you have to have like some kind of core hours where it's like, you need to be available for meetings if they're, you know, yeah, needed <laughs> and stuff. But like just giving people that flexibility to, like work within their own like strengths and weaknesses a little better. Um, we actually had a guy on earlier um, during the pandemic uh, mm. who worked in HR and his big thing was he was saying, everybody always writes on all their job applications. I want an independent thinker. And he's yeah. like, well, now you get to really challenge that. You know, you, you want someone <laughs> who works independently. The pandemic is forcing you to let people work independently now. So let's see if you actually mean what you've been saying, you know, and it's kind of cool to see how, for the most part, most of the companies I've worked with have honestly done very, very well with kind of a more flexible remote scheduling, you know, I hope it sticks. Um, I'm a little fearful. I'm sure some of you saw how uh, there's a pushback from Apple where like, okay, everyone's coming back in September and they're like, I don't know about that. I don't know if we want to come back in September, you know? So I, I'm hopeful. I really am that, uh, uh, that we, we keep it. Um, I know a lot of businesses probably don't want to keep it because, you know, they've spent so much on leases and everything and there are clear benefits, but um, I don't know. At least I'm part of the generation that loves working remotely and everything. Like you got to think that anybody under, say 45 or so in the past like two decades three decades we've gone through so much <laughs> we might as well start crafting the future that we want i want to work remotely i want to get paid well i want to live in a shipping container in the middle of the forest right <laughs> you know just start, start crafting the future we want not being dictated by the future that we were told it was going to be mm-hmm. um so anyways yeah that, that's kind of where that is and so we we've stuck f- with it for many many years and we're quite happy about it um but you know now going forward uh we'll obviously still stick to it and and be with that um and in terms of like business you know working on games and animation is is quite fun uh i i really enjoyed it's kind of weird to say that that's what we do but uh (laughs) that's what we do so it's really it's really fun to say that that's you know your what you want to do in life and actually be able to do it I always enjoy the fact that I get to walk into a room and say I'm an attorney that works with video game and tech companies and now sports cards, you know, yeah. and it's, that's like my, my big three client bases and yeah. people always give me like the weirdest side eye, but I'm like, no, like I love it. You know, it's like, that's such a good feeling to get to do something you love, you know, in an industry you love, you know, it's been an element. I was actually talking to one of, well, this morning, actually to one of the co-developers and, it's kind of interesting where some people I'm sure know many people actually know it's very difficult to break into any of the media industries, right? Cause mm-hmm. it's such an uphill battle and climb. Um, and, and yet th- there's this phrase I heard a lot when I lived in LA and I, I lived, I, I couch surfed a lot there too. So I got to meet some interesting characters throughout my life and, and, one of them was a really top photographer and he always used to tell me that um, uh, LA is a place where there are a hundred parking spots and a thousand people trying to park in them and you need to make your own damn spot. And I like that, that took a little while to get there. And then the second phrase that I'll never forget that Peter told me was uh, the uh, LA is the city of the long no, (laughs) which I also think is really appropriate. (laughs) You'll get like 30 no's before you get a yes. Um, but the first one really is key to me. And I, you know, who knows who might be listening to this in the future, but the make your own spot, I think it, it's so easy too. at this point, you know, you, you should make your own spot. Um, I, you could chase trying to work for a big company and, and there might be some real big benefit to that, but man, to be able to make your own game, like just fire up on real or unity or go dot watch a tutorial for an hour and, bang out you know the mm-hmm. next flappy bird in a weekend it's totally possible now um a yeah. lot harder back then totally possible today well and you know even just kind of looking at your own background you know you started just modding you just started learning yeah. and teaching yourself tools you know like if, you, if you're just sending out applications to to places that go into the void of the internet and then 
99% of the time you yeah. never get a reply, you know, you're, you're better off kind of working on your own portfolio at least, you know, and coming yeah. up with stuff that you can show people and catch people's attention with, you know, especially if you want to be an artist or, you know, something on that nature, you know, they yeah. always want to see what you're doing. There's almost, I would even challenge uh, part, part of trying to send applications out. So, when you take the LA Orlando flight a lot, uh, as I have for many mm -hmm. years now, you'll meet a lot of interesting people on that flight um, who want to come to Orlando because, you know, Disney World. Uh, and they they all work in some sort of media. So um, one of these flights I sat down next to uh, and, and talked for like four hours, however long that flight is. Uh, he was like one of the lead designers of Overwatch. And him and the whole family were flying over. And we we talked about like how he got started and everything and out of college, his plan was rather than applying to a game company because so many of them wanted to see demo code or anything, he's just going to make a game company and they made games and that's mm -hmm. it. That's the him and a buddy. I think there's three of them. They just made a bunch of games. Uh, and eventually blizzard just bought them. <laughs> you know, they were small. Um, so it was like an aqua hire, if you will. But, uh, you know, they're they're successful and they, they had a lot of pedigree and everything, but they were young. But they also had by that time, like six or seven years of experience because they had been shipping games since they were through college and everything as a business. So it feels real and everything, you know, and yeah, they just they just bought them. And, you know, he's been with Blizzard since. And I just always thought that um, that was so interesting because so much of at least when I was in college in the early 2000s, it was always you know, polish the resume and, and make it look good and everything. And, and you apply to a billion places. You guys may not know this, but um, I, as I never really went to GDC until fairly recently, but SIGGRAPH, the animation equivalent, um, they used to have these giant bins where you would just throw into the void, literally throw into the void, if you will, uh, in 2003. It was my first year I went, in fact. You just, you had like a VHS or if you were really cutting edge you had a dvd you know you had a you had a disc and you just throw the damn thing into the giant bin next to disney or pixar or blue sky or whoever at the time uh, recruiting you know at the job fair at siggraph and you know it's so soul crushing because it's like those bins that you fill up for all the leaves in the fall to then throw mm -hmm. away so it's ginormous and it's just piled high with discs and you know, every single person on there has worked so hard on their demo reel, their portfolio, and mm -hmm. you're just another floppy disk on this, you know, floppy nightmare. Yeah, it's it's always been something that I feel like is still right for some level of innovation, just because it's not an efficient process. No. To the point that I have clients that talk to me a decent bit about what you were just talking about and mm -hmm. going out and scouting to Aquahire. Because the reality is like finding talented individuals is not very easy especially when you know into the abyss when you put up a job listing you get fifty thousand applications and yeah figuring out which ones are good is not actually as easy as it sounds you know um yeah. so it, it gets it gets difficult or making people write uh what are they called um cover, cover letters. letters when nobody yeah. reads a cover letter, you know what i mean <laughs> like whenever jobs like please do your cover letter it's like nobody reads those things you know what i mean like it's it's such well, an antiquated method of hiring people at this point. At, at the end of the day, 90% of hiring that I've been involved with always comes down to somebody at the company already knew somebody. Yeah. And just kind of was like, hey, pull that yeah. name out of the void yeah. and then take a look at the resume. And if the resume is good, then it's like, cool. You know, it but like for itself, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like I the was... work still has to be good. It's not yeah. like they're just going to hire someone because they know somebody yeah. most of the time, you know. I always heard that it was you know who you know right i'm sure mm -hmm. we've all heard that phrase and just mentioned it um and it's funny it's like people freak out um when you hear that phrase but no one like actually completes the damn thing which is so it's who you know so go start meeting a lot of people so you know a lot of people right mm -hmm. like we never forget like Someone of so many of us just stop at like, well, it's who you know. Well, I don't know anybody, so I guess I'm screwed. Well, <laughs> just go meet people, go to a party. You know, that like GDC and cigarette parties are exactly where most people should be to to just meet, well, meet, and meet. The the one nice thing about the pandemic is the fact that so many of those things became virtual this year. 
mm-hmm. you know, so because of the fact that it's so difficult if you're not at a certain level of affluence to maybe get from Florida to San Francisco for a week for a GDC, Fair. there were yeah. plenty of um, web, web-based web events. I sat in one uh, last Wednesday that was meant to kind of simulate the fact that we all missed E3 where they just did huh. breakout sessions. So what they did yeah. is they literally had a Zoom call with about a thousand people on it. And then they broke us off into a call kind of like this with five people and we just talk for 20 minutes, you know, just kind of introduce <laughs> yourselves, kind of meet people. And mm. I mean, I got to meet people from some really cool companies that way. And, you know, there's stuff out there. And I mean, at least for me, I was always told it's not just who, you know, but also kind of who knows you. Mm. It's one thing to be able to say like, Oh, I know this person, but yeah, do they, do they know who you are too? You know, it's yeah. kind of like you need to build a full relationship, not just kind of, be aware of someone you know i completely agree Uh, and you you say something that made me think that one of my favorite conferences this year was the steamworks developer conference Mm -hmm. where they did exact thing i mean not using zoom but using their own system everyone's hanging out and then suddenly it all got broken up into rooms where some steam business dev person and like 12 other developers we just hung out together for half an hour and that cycled, I think, for an hour or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved it. I actually I was like, I think every session, like, okay, well, what what do you guys think? Like, do more of this. This is great. First of all, I didn't steam is such a giant void. You have no idea. Like, it'd be nice to meet other people. So this is great. It's a little bit better than Discord because you know, you you feel like you're meeting other professionals and and um people who have shipped things, people who are totally brand new. But there's a sense of like, okay, we're all here to sell a game on Steam or have sold something on Steam. So we all have at least that kind of baseline to work with. And uh and it was just awesome to video chat and see people. You know, then your cat screaming in the background and it makes it all the better. But for the most part, it was really awesome. And I yeah, I, you know, it makes you wonder what 2022 conferences are going to be like. I think this is our we're going to test so much this year. Um, there's a big animation conference in Miami called Kid Screen, and they, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, they announced that it's going to be in Miami in 2022. We're coming back. Um, so all of us are excited about that. Uh, but uh, it does, does kind of make you wonder, like, what will what will really happen in, in the next year? I think we're going to start experimenting and testing. Um, I'm kind of surprised that, I'm curious what GDC will do. Let me put it that way. You know, I'm I'm curious what GDC will do. I'm cautiously optimistic uh, about it. So I'm registered. I'm excited to go. So we'll we'll see what happens with it. Um, last year was pretty interesting. They had the Twitch thing, which was okay. Um, felt a little last minute. The then the summer one that they had was good, but this one, hopefully, they we've all learned about virtual conferencing and they they have a few uh, ideas like the the breakout thing hopefully we can mm-hmm. do some of that at, at this year's coming gdc so we'll see yeah i saw that uh i think it's pax west is gonna be in person um, oh really and there's obviously a little bit of pushback on that right now because of the fact that yeah kids again, Delta we're still COVID. where we are terrible and, yeah well you also got to remember that pax is probably best known for the pax plague or pax box mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it you know, they're always been known as the conference that everybody gets sick at. Yeah. Like, I always get sick somehow at PAX. I mean, I'm carrying, like, three things of hand sanitizer, just, like, being overly careful. You know? One would hope one would hope that masks are a little bit more socially acceptable. I, I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit of a pushback now against mask wearing because we're, like, everyone is over it. Um, I mean, I have some cool masks, you know, so hopefully people... Hopefully people are just okay with wearing a mask five years down the road from now. We're like, oh, he's wearing a mask. He's probably sick or something. So I'll keep my distance. Like, I, I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. I just I just hope that that's okay. You know, that we don't. Uh, well, and I've, I've dream seen of the people future. try to like do different things to kind of do exactly that. Where it's like, okay, different color wristbands for like, hey, please don't get in my space right now. Or, you know, like, I'm cool with going up and giving you a giant hug you know Mm, and like those different different things for different people sometimes you know um but i definitely love to talk a little bit more about the fact that you guys during the middle of this pandemic kind of pivoted to start a game um so you can tell us a little bit about that thought process and what that's been like 
Yeah, that was uh, that was good. There's a, a Ray Bradbury quote about um, jumping off a cliff and building your wings on the wing on the way down. I always get it wrong, but you know, generally that's what it means. You just jump off and make it a yeah, make it work on the way down, right? You just figure it out. So we had done little experiments in VR. Uh, one of our former art directors, compositing supervisors, he made a VR game that we supported a little bit, and that was OG Vive, you know, and, and DK2 is when we started working on that and learning. Um, but that was also deep in the middle of a big time of growth for the company where we were working on some pretty high caliber TV shows. So my personal time, I couldn't dedicate to it, but a few people were experimenting and I bought the first Vive. I bought a DK2, um, didn't get the first DK1, but came right soon after. And it's so exciting. It's always been like in the periphery, but then like pandemic hits and we've already been in Unreal for real time production and, and doing some prototyping for a theme park where we made the ride in VR so you could look around it. So we kind of were sort of familiar and like, okay, we've touched it and, and pretty into it. And then I had my background in Activision. So I, I knew about Unreal 3 and UDK and UE4. So I was like, yeah, this is interesting. But then pandemic hits and unfortunately we let some people go and we kind of rethink like, where is this going to go? Um, we were of the mind that this is an 18 month journey. And this is like, you know, and it was like, what was it, March? I think I'll never forget it, but I think it was like 26th or 29th when everything shut down. <laughs> um, anyways, so it was end of March. And we're like, the ride that we had just completed was supposed to have a premiere, but then they shut it all down because of, you know, COVID. So the premiere never happened. And it was just so weird. And we had a couple of big projects that were on the line that also got canceled. <laughs> So all of this leads to an enormous amount of pressure in April. There's the PPP loan and staying up late to try to figure out like what's next and everything. Um, and then May, which was like, well, you know what's next? Nothing. <laughs> we have 18. We think it'll be 18 months before theme parks and TV recover. Um, so what do we do? How do we financially survive? And then what do we do for 18 months? And thought about it, thought about it, thought about it. Um, and then we decided, well, we really like Unreal. Let's just start fooling around in Unreal. And we had just done a game jam uh, December of that year. Well, I guess technically previous year. So 2020, was that 2019? Yeah. 2020 was pandemic. So 2019. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. We get your dates wrong for a second. So yeah, December 2019, we had done a game jam. And we we're like, well, we have this old game. Like maybe let's just polish it up and see if we can sell it. And that game was Blop and Blaster. Um, and it was the theme of the game jam was sacrifice. So you had to grab these little guys, stick them into your gun and shoot and kill enemies. And the, these little guys functioned as health and ammunition. So it was kind of sad in a way because like they're your people. You have to protect your village. But at the same time, you can't shoot the enemies that are invading without sacrificing one of them into your weapon for ammunition. So um, they're both your health and your ammo. That's the only concept that stuck. We got rid of the rest. And, you know, fast forward one year later, we're completely addicted to Unreal. We dove really deep into VR. Um, we pitched it to PlayStation and they they gave us all of this stuff to help hopefully release it on the PS store. So one day, knock on wood, um, we pitched it to Oculus and we got into the Oculus Start program and they sent us Quest headsets, um, a bunch of them actually. So very big kudos to them uh, for all the, the help. And we've just been inside VR since, you know, we it, it really started in earnest last May. Uh, and the, the few people that we could keep on the team, we just put them all onto this. And I myself taught myself Blueprint, didn't know it. My co-founder's already a C++ programmer, so that helped out tremendously. Uh, I just had to understand like Unreal's flavor of it and just never looked back. Um, and so just last week, we premiered it at the Steam Next Fest uh, in the VR section, and, and that went really quite well. We broke 750 wish lists. Uh, I, I know s some people say you need 1,000, 2,000, 100. I don't know. You know what? To come from nothing to then have 750 people say, I want to get this when it comes out, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that as a testament and, and you know take that as a win. So we had a bunch of people wishlist it. We have a bunch of people on the mailing list. And 
um, I'm just energized by like, wow, we actually built something out of nothing. So uh, we're going to release it the second week of August, August 11th. Trying to sandwich it like right before school's starting, but then there's Gamescom and all the other stuff. So we figured like that second week of August might be pretty good. Um, yeah, we're just going to premiere it on Steam VR and on the uh, on the Oculus uh, VR store. It's going to be PC VR first, so not Quest um, standalone, but that'll be something that we work on afterwards. But yeah, it's it's this cute little game, and and the short of it is is if you remember Pikmin. From way back right you had these little characters you, they become like your ammunition you throw them at things and they like beat stuff up so we took that concept uh and then you have these little blobkin cute little characters and their little village is being invaded by a bunch of monstrous looking fish they just come in and start eating them and destroying the buildings and everything and it's your job to kill the fish and save your village so it's a wave shooter there's just you know a certain amount not endless but a certain amount of waves of enemies coming at you um, but to kind of further expand some of the mechanics, we added some real-time strategy elements so you can build with your Blobkin, your sort of Pikmin. You can build buildings, cannons, defensive structures, anything to kind of help protect that village while at the same time being attacked. So they, the Blobkin serve many functions. They're your health, because if you lose all of them, the fish eat you and you die immediately. So the, one of them flies right at you and gulps and the screen goes black. Um, they're your ammunition. They literally hop into your weapon and you fire them out and they attack your enemies. And they're a little bit like angry birds. Each one has like their own kind of superpower. Um, and then they're also the, your builders. They help construct this village that you're trying to protect. So they all kind of function in, in multiple little units. Um, and then it's cute because, you know, we make a lot of kid stuff. I mean, <laughs> Lord, we've been working in Sesame Street for like four years now. So there's a, there's a very cute, like kids like bend to it. And, and that's, been really important to us you know one of the biggest things of feedback people have given us is like oh yeah i i love playing it but uh, my kid really enjoyed it my eight-year-old my 11-year-old whatever and played it and that's like there's a common thread in our, our test audiences and our feedback surveys it's been people like that so it warms our heart because it's like yeah this is what we want someone for kids something rather for kids something rather for um, adults and they can kind of share together in this silly hybrid VR wave shooter. So that's Blockin Blaster in a in a big nutshell. Mm-hmm. A big one. Well, the... Go ahead, Justin. I would say the thing I love the most just about hearing all of this is that going back to your idea of making your own parking spot. Like, if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong here. But like, you're not using Cinema 4D or 3ds Max or Maya or Foundry. You're using Blender, which I believe is yeah. free. And you're using Unreal, which until you sell the game is free. And they're now integrated together. So it's like anybody yeah. who really wants to get down on something are using the exact same things you are. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's open for, and there's so much information for blender. I know that for a fact, Gosh, there's so much yeah. information for unreal that if you wanted to do something, if you wanted to make something now is the time to get into it. Like it's, it, it couldn't be any easier than it is right now. Absolutely. You know, we, we got nominated for, I say we, cause there's also our partners at barnstorm VFX. They led the show. Um, and, Knock on wood. I think it was the very first th- show to have been nominated, but made in un- or, um, I'm sorry, rendered out of Blender. Mm-hmm. And this is like this is the Emmys, you know. Mm-hmm. So this is this is like big time. Um, and it was like the first one to do that. So uh, and and that was 2016 when the interface is still a little janky. Now the interface <laughs> is so polished, and they have that like made something Unreal. Um, or I'm sorry, not made something real. Unreal Mega Grants, you know, money and everything. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's all looking so good. And yet um, now there's like movies. There's I think recently they had like that Rabbids TV show or something. They they had that on the Blender blog. So there's been so much like incredible stuff that's being made with Blender now. It's kind of cool to to see its gross, uh, uh, gross growth. You know, <laughs> I got a question for you about that though, because you know, obviously, you know, I, if you you've been doing this long enough, so you've seen all these programs come and go. But Blender, when it started, was like it didn't even have any kind of real like things you did in other programs didn't translate over. You know what I mean? Like it was its right. own interface. So when did you decide? Okay, we're just gonna we are gonna I, I'm gonna go away from the programs I've used to use. And I know Theory says that they're a Blender studio. So when yeah. did you decide we're just running Blender? You know, that that was actually um, very close to, to day one. Um, 
now it's different. But in 2013, when we started the business, an Autodesk license is very expensive uh, back then. It might still even be. I don't know. I haven't gone to their website in ages. Yeah, yeah Maya and Max and all that. And don't get me wrong. I, I started on 3D Studio, which became Max. So I've, I've got a real soft spot for it. Um, but same with, uh, same with like, uh, Photoshop and everything. Although Photoshop admittedly, I, I think they did the right thing with the creative cloud. Uh, I know there's a lot of people who are like, ah, rah, rah. but I, I think the subscription thing, you're going to keep upgrading and buying the license, whatever it, it does equal the same cost over the course of three years. But I think at least with creative cloud, you get a really great bundle of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, though, you had to spend a whole bunch of money for an Autodesk license, and you know we're we're not going to we're not going to like pirate it or anything like that. We wanted to be a real business, so well, we just like Blender was free. <laughs> that was it. That's what I thought you were going to say. You know, like Blender was free. You're like, let's try it. It was, was uh, two, five, four, or three. Uh, if they had just done a big UI refresh, in fact. Um, yeah, Blender had just done this big old because three was a really ugly interface back in the day. It was like that gray. Yeah. yeah. So... Oh yeah, 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 yeah. This I I think we got on two five though because okay. I think there's like a big change on two five mm-hmm. and and so that's the one that we got into. Um, but then yeah, man, just we just decided you know what this this feels right to us and and we're gonna give it give it a whirl and we couldn't find a rigging artist. People didn't know how to rig with it. You know, <laughs> it was so, so weird, man. Um, but over time, you know, taught skills, learned it. And, you know, now I, I teach it on, it's no longer Linda, Linda.com. It used to be Linda.com. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, now I teach it on LinkedIn learning, uh, formerly Linda.com. And it's just funny to see that evolution yet when I was like Activision and when I was at other places, uh, I was like the Maya guy, <laughs> you know, I taught Maya to everybody. I was like the Maya TD. I was all Maya, Maya, Maya. Um, and now, you know, now I'm all blended blender. I, I haven't opened Maya and I don't know how long, you know, I don't know how to do stuff in it. So <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I don't, I don't know it, but yeah. So anyways, that was it. It was just free, you know, to be honest with you, it was just free. So we just decided that let's try it. You know, what, what else, what else can we, lose yeah so yeah it was good it was good you know i i have to admit blender has gotten so much more professional and i I think that really really helps Mm -hmm. you know i think that really really helps so that's that's been my biggest help is is how much it's been upgraded epic doing their blender add-on has been a huge help you know so yeah i've I'm a total convert. I tell everybody to do it. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I watched your, um, your talk uh, on Blender Los Angeles showing how the Epic stuff integrated, which I'd recommend anybody watching because you really kind of broke down how how it it is kind of they made it a lot easier to make a game because of that the the grant and the integration. So you know, I, it was it was fun to see you break all that down. Oh, I appreciate that. You know, that was a that was the um, that was a really yeah. I was trying to think. Um, that was a pretty good one. We we do this Blender conference every year, this virtual one, right? And it's like 18 hours long, and there's Blender artists all over the world who do it. Um, and I, I always think that that's really cool. Uh, this year, we had a guy from, like, Nigeria come in and present about his work in Blender, and he's a damn good sculptor. Like, how cool is that, that it could, like, cross boundaries and be used, you know, anywhere? So... I don't know. I just I just think it's awesome, um, yeah, and it's free, and it's tiny. It's like a small download relative to what Maya used to be. Maybe yeah. it's big now, but um, and there's so much information. Like it's not like a you get lost. for there's sure so much stuff. You can literally teach yourself anything on both Unreal and uh, yeah on and Blender. So it's you know anybody who wants to start getting into games or even cinematics because that they all kind of translate together too. It's it's like they're making it as easy as they can for you. So yeah. You know, it's funny, like, there's a guy on Reddit who posted, like, I want to use Unity uh, on the Unreal subreddit. (laughs) And then (laughs) vice versa on the Unity sub, he posted, like, I want to use Unreal. And I hate that, you know, because we used to get, well, not hate's too strong of a word. You know, that's kind of like a fruit fly in your room. You're like, oh, Christ, get get out of here. You know, we used to get that so much in the Blender world. 
where people were like, I don't know, I use Maya only, or I don't know, uh, Maya 3D Max and Blender. Like it, it's just so nonsense. You know, it, the software really doesn't matter. Um, I, we've used Unity. It's great. No problems with it. We just, Unreal was free at the time, and we just got really good at it. And and so that's it. That's just, There's no other difference. So, yeah, yeah, if anyone listens and... If you have, if you're having a software debate in your head and you're listening to this, just pick one. It doesn't matter. They're all the same. They they, they name the button something different, and or I'm sorry, they name the command something different. The button's generally the same. Just pick one. You know, so everything uses an up, down, left, right arrow. You know, it's there's a move, a rotate, and a scale. They all have code in them. You know, if statements exist in both programs, so just pick one, and you'll be done with it. But yeah. um, and even Blueprint, like, again, people mm. don't realize how much Blueprint is just, it sets you up for success, you know? You know, it's a very simple thing you can add to your Unreal, and then boom, you know, you're you're already a way step ahead than you've ever been before. So. Yeah. It's definitely one of those things where if you're just debating what direction to go, pick something, you know? <laughs> like, you're better off learning something than just sitting there and never, never moving. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, completely agree. Yeah, if you get no. stuck on software, you'll never get anywhere. Um, but if you do get stuck on software, then you should download the Block and Blaster VR demo, which is live <laughs> on the Steam store. <laughs> well, and going back to the game, I love the yeah. fact that you guys have kind of created something where um, obviously the art style is going to be reminiscent for kids and they're going to love it. But mm -hmm. the, the core component you're talking about is the fact that these blobkins are not only your health, but your ammo yeah. and almost like your currency to upgrade things in a sense mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that's kind of a cool dynamic of like well how do you decide how to use them you know yeah you, you just shoot them all out <laughs> end up with lower health because of it or you know it does make balancing the game rather tricky um i'm a data table kind of guy and someone had made a i don't know where game dev game sutra someone had made a post about like making a game with spreadsheets Mm -hmm. and i like love it like i love spreadsheets yeah. run a business you gotta love spreadsheets so uh i Steve's just former economics major in you <laughs> yeah right I, I love it so everything's a spreadsheet you know the health the attack the speed all as much as possible is the spreadsheet so my jason who's my fellow co-designer uh he's just we've, we've got like 10 different spreadsheets are like, we're going to change this thing, but that'll affect this thing, which will affect this thing, which will drive that thing. So it's just interesting and, and balancing. It's, it's rather tricky. Um, one of the biggest critical things from the steam festival is like, it's a little too frenetic. It's a little bit too much going on and are like, Oh, right. Because we are the only ones who've been playing this game for a year and it's not hard enough for us. So we keep every incremental build. We make it harder and we adjust the data tables to make it even harder so it's a challenge for us, and it's virtually impossible for a first-timer. <laughs> so well, we're That's where back. we just need to bust out and use some of the benefits of the co-working space you're in with the Orlando game space. Yeah. Get you some fresh eyeballs to test that thing. Oh, for sure. Actually, very soon, we're, we're going to do like a July, one last beta test in July before August. And we're not going to release all the levels, just the, the first two levels again, just to test. Because, yeah... I, it's just interesting. We we've been that's this is our first big mass public one. We've have a small beta group, but you know to have like five hundred people play the game and all tell you generally the same thing. You're like, okay, <laughs> make it a little easier. <laughs> Surprisingly, though, we had a few p parents and then their kids playing like as a video and everything. One of them, I was like, could you just film them playing the whole thing? And he did. He sent it all in, and this is really interesting. He is so good at it. The parent is not, but he was super good at it. So. Now it's it's created a little bit of trickery. Do we want to make it easier? But then it's too easy. I don't know. So we're gonna we're gonna make it a little easier, um, and I guess to button up the whole thing on the game. Uh, when you when you beat the main story mode, you unlock red tide mode, which is like an impossible, endless <laughs> amount of waves kind of thing. Where kind of like just, a nightmare mode. Yeah, yeah, and because we have multiple levels, we have six zones that you travel through in the story mode. Um, you don't load through them or anything we're just going to level string them in so it's kind of like a bunch of bubbles rush at you and now you're in the next map you know and then it's it just should feel like almost like a roguelike where you have one life and you have hopefully see how far you can make it um so yeah that is our that is block and blaster august 11th 2021 <laughs>
It's my sales pitch. I'm done. <laughs> I hope I hear your voice going red tide mode or whatever. Red tide. <laughs> I love this mic. It's so good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. That's no, fantastic. Mm-hmm. So is there anything you would uh you kind of like to share with the audience before we kind of like wrap up? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um I think uh the depends who's listening, right? If mm-hmm. if you want to get started uh it's free there's no reason not to if you want to get a job don't just you know if you're working at a dead-end job i mean so many of us are there and have been there Uh, you know there's a benefit in polishing your demo reel and everything and and or your code base and everything but like there's also i think and this is just purely hypothetical I think you'll find more benefit doing a game jam and finding a buddy to team up with if you're a programmer, an artist, or vice versa. And just make something. You know, I think there's a bigger benefit. Going back to what we said way earlier, we get a lot of people who send in their cover letters and a giant email and resumes and everything. And, you know, I I immediately do three things. I copy their name and I Google search it. And I click on their art station, their LinkedIn profile, and anything else I find interesting, like, were they part of a game jam? Is there a demo reel on Vimeo or whatever? Um, if they're an artist, you better have an ArtStation account. You know, uh, if if you're a programmer or a developer, were you in a game jam? Have you released anything? You know, like, where, where's, where's your stuff? And absolutely, very biased because I teach for LinkedIn. But also checked out their LinkedIn. Like, what do you do? What have you done? Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you worked at a grocery store. That's cool. But, like worked at this game or did this game jam, did that game jam came in third at the, like just, just interesting stuff. Yeah. Cause I guess cover letters are completely worthless. They just <laughs> care about your demo reel and your, your, yeah. like your work, mm-hmm. like what have you done? So, yeah. and uh, I think that's more valuable, frankly. So, you know, go for that. Well, and I, I think that right there is why uh, Kanal uh, Patel from the Orlando game space pushes so heavily to do all the game jams we do in Orlando. Oh, for sure. Whether it's with, you know, the healthcare industry or the space industry, you know, or just like the general global game jam that everybody does. And the, the crazy thing about game jams anymore is you can find one going on almost any time on the internet. Yeah. You know, and you can work remote on these things, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You don't need to be there. You know, you don't need to, you don't need to be part of that or, or, or whatever, you know, like you don't need to physically be somewhere. Like you were saying earlier, like in, um, Mm -hmm. GDC or San Francisco. In fact, it's the reverse. Everybody wants you to be remote, you know. So take advantage of it. Do it. Also, learning how to bop through communities will be important because if you're mm. a designer, like you know, art, whatever, you can pop into Unreal forums and find people who need art. If you're a guy who knows how to build games, you pop into any one of like Blender, or you'll find yeah. you have art and just want to be a part of a game. You just got to learn to bounce around between those uh, communities. Agreed. I, I think. That's always one of the funny things. Uh, Every once in a while, I'll go to um, FIA, which is a local uh, video game program out of UCF for grad Mm. school. Mm -hmm. And they do Mm -hmm. this thing called Venture uh, Track, which is basically Mm. like letting them kind of run almost their own independent company for six months, you know? Oh, wow. Where they kind of just work on a project to put it out. And it's funny to see because you'll see. There's a team that's got like six artists on it. And there's a team sometimes that's got like five like level designers. And you're always just kind of like, hmm. maybe you guys should swap around a little, <laughs> you know, yeah, balance, like, balance. It would balance the teams out better, you know. But then you also always see like, wow, it's cool what five really decent animators can do and what five really good level designers can do with what their main core skill is, you know. Yeah. So they can still do something pretty awesome. Um, that kind of highlights what it is that they're good at. I I love that. Yeah, Ringling. I don't know if they do this. It was one of the art schools where they put you in a team so you can have like two or three people make a short mm-hmm. film as your senior thesis. And I think it was Ringling. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I always thought that that's great because yeah, it is a team sport. I, I think FIA makes them all do it for Capstone. And then if like mm. your last year, you don't have an offsite internship, you know, it's kind yeah. of more of they put you into the venture track to, again, give you some real world experience of what it's like to work as a team and put something out oh. there, you know, and just shipping something, you know, like maybe that, that should be the last that matters, you know, 
Yeah, actually, that's something I kind of forgot about to, to even really touch on the, the concept of shipping, which is like, listen, we're a tiny developer and we'd really love to get this game with tons of features and gameplay. But, you know, yeah, it's really important to ship a thing. Um, mm-hmm. And that's important. Just ship a thing, ship a product, get it done and ship it. There's a ton of value in that. And rather than chasing and and never finishing and chasing new ideas, there's there's such value in just I'm done. I shipped it. It's not the best, but it's not the worst. It's just good. And yeah, that's a good one. Ship, get it done, get it out the door. <laughs> I'm really talking to myself at this point, but you know, <laughs> giving myself advice. But yeah, no, that's awesome. No, but I really want to thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. This has been yeah. fantastic. Thanks for having me. Um, so excited. And we'll we'll make sure to kind of um, put a way to contact you in the uh, description for the uh, the episode when it goes up. Yeah, yeah, it's it's super simple. It's hi at bravelunch.com. It goes to me. So, and then all all of our content is at brave lunch. Just one word, no fancy letters or numbers. Just brave lunch. We really like Twitter and TikToks. So I'm on both both of those, but yeah, you know, <laughs> we're on all of them. So. Come say hi. Awesome. All right. right. And that's a wrap.